Good morning. Troy and Kristen Dickerson, buckle up. Kristen's going to go through those verses. It's going to take a while. These are the feel-good verses today. All right. Uh, starting with Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then we'll flip over to Galatians. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, through your word, we can uh, learn more about you and draw closer to you. Lord, we thank you for your son and that in you sending your son, he died for our sins and that we are forgiven um, eternally. And Lord, we thank you for the spirit. Um, we thank you for sending the spirit so that way um, we have somebody to navigate us through this, this fallen world. Uh, Lord, we pray for David this morning and that you will use him as a tool to help us navigate once again. Um, Lord, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts um, to believe. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. That's a lot to 
read and a lot to digest this morning, but we're going to give it our best shot. My name's David Holt. I am a partner here um, of my wife, Alicia, and our, two, our, our one uh, son. We have an older son that attends another church in the area. But it's good to be with you this morning. Thanks for the invite. Has this come up? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. I don't have my large print Bible this morning, so I'm going to have to lean over. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, like I said, we've, we've been partners here for several years now. This is my first opportunity to, to bring the Word of God to you. I'm very excited about it. I want to thank you. Thank you, Lance, for his confidence and, uh, and his, uh, his permission to, to open up his pulpit and allow us, uh, me and others, to, to come and present the Word of God to you this morning. I really appreciate that. It uh, helps, helps those of us that, that uh, sense a call or that we have the, the gifting to be able to exercise it and practice it. It's been a while since I've practiced, so I'm feeling a little rusty. So if you don't mind, send a prayer or two up for me this morning. But uh, we're going we're gonna to get into this. Now, as we said, I, I can tell you what. For the whole experience so far this morning, the message has already been, been presented. Uh, we're talking about the Spirit this morning, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Spirit of sanctification. We have sung about it. We have prayed in it. We have prayed uh, the theme of it. And uh, for, for the last several weeks, we've been presented with different aspects of the Spirit and how it impacts our lives and what it all means in this experience of Christianity. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the Spirit of sanctification. Now, that's a big word that we don't always use every day. Sanctification, what in the world is that? Well, Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines sanctification this way. It's the generic meaning. It says sanctification is the state of proper functioning. The state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. So if you have an ink pen with you, we can say an ink pen is sanctified when you use it to write notes. Eyeglasses become sanctified when you put them on your face and you use them for the intended purpose to help you see better. So in a spiritual sense then, um, the Greek word that's used in the Bible for the term sanctification means, translated into English, means holiness. To sanctify, therefore, means to make holy. Now this is one of the, the earliest commandments in the Old Testament, we find it in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, where God says, Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. He calls us to holiness. Now, there's not really a way uh, physically uh, or anything that we can do to, to earn that holiness, to, to arrive at the same holiness of God. But he says, Be holy as I am holy. Another word, if, if you're from uh, maybe a, a different uh, uh, church background than, than where you are today, you might be familiar with the word saint. And the word saint means a person, a sanctified one. The opposite then of, of sanctified, and we'll get into the opposite, because Paul does a lot of compare-contrast in these verses. The opposite of sanctified is the word profane. Talk about opposites, sanctified and profane. So we're going to unpack this, this theme 
of the spirit of sanctification and find out what does all this mean to me? What, what, what is the process? What is going on? Because some of us, if you're a brand new Christian or young in your discipleship, you may not understand. And some of us may be older and still we haven't grasped this idea. What's going on inside us that's making us holy? How do we get there? How do we get there? What, what do we need to do to get it? If that's your question today, you're about to find out. There's nothing we can do to get it. It's a process that we have nothing to do with once we say yes to Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of it. So let's unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to start in, chapter, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the first thing that we see in these verses is the Spirit has abolished condemnation by the law. Now, if, if you're familiar uh, with, with the Old Testament, there's the, there's the Old Testament law, the, the, the law of Moses. And it was long, and there was a lot of things in it. The key word here is law, okay? Um, there was, uh, Moses gave 365 prohibitions and 248 positive commands that total 613 points of a law that the Jews were required to keep in order to uh, maintain their, their holiness. Well, here's the problem. There's no way to do that. There's not one person on the face of the earth that is perfect enough to maintain that law and keep all those commandments and check all those boxes and maintain their holiness. And God knew that. He designed it that way. Because what the law actually does is points us toward our need for Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in just a second. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That's why I made all these notes. The law becomes bad when we use it in an attempt to justify our own righteousness. Now Paul, uh, Paul made a statement uh, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. It says, he asked the question, he says, is the law sin? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So the law is how we come to know and understand what sin is. Because if you're going against the law, then you're obviously in sin. And so that's how God designed the law to point people to the fact that, you know what, it's impossible to live a holy life on your own, trying to keep this law every day of your life. Not going to work. And God knew that. And so because of the law, we realize then what sin is and just how deep and far into sin we are. And that in turn allows us to see just how much we are in need of a Savior. So here's the thing. The Spirit has abolished the condemnation that's set forth by the law. I was watching a, um, a video recording of a courtroom setting this past week. There was a, a person who was uh, on trial for 11 counts of something. I didn't, I didn't get what, what the, all the things were. You may have seen this. It was on a Facebook reel. You may have seen it too. 
But the man is sitting there with his attorney, and the jury has, has come in. And so the judge asked the jury, what, you know, how do you find? And they read individually on each one of those counts, we the jury find the defendant not guilty. Now, I'm not real sure, real clear on what all this person was accused of and was on trial for, but the penalty that he was up against, well, I think, was like life in prison. And when they start reading off not guilty, they didn't say it just once. They read off on, on, the, on the first count, on the second, not guilty, not guilty, like 11 times. This guy is sitting over here with his attorney, and he is emotionally coming unglued, as I guess we all would. He's got a family, a wife, a, a kids, a, a, a life that he has lived, and he's wondering if he's about to lose it all. And when they hear those, when he hears those words, not guilty, it's life-changing for him. Do you imagine the sense of freedom that man must have felt when he heard those words? Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you, have, if you have said yes to Jesus Christ and made him the Lord of your life, the Savior of, of your soul, my friend, you sit here this morning not guilty, not guilty of all the things that we have fallen short of, not guilty. The Spirit has abolished the condemnation of the law. There is therefore no condemnation. The, the Spirit has set us free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the second thing that we see in these verses is found in verses 3 through 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we just read that the Holy Spirit has set us free from sin, death, and the condemnation. And here we're shown how all this took place. God sent his son Jesus into the world in the form of a man or the form of human flesh. Jesus was in all points tempted just like we are, yet he was without sin. Jesus endured the entire human experience and he was confronted with the temptation to sin, yet he overcame every single time. And a lot of the ways he did it was by praying and quoting scripture back when he was tempted. Jesus went to the cross in human flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. He became human to take our place as a human being. All people sin, and we see that in Romans 3, verse 23. And the penalty for that sin is spiritual death. But Jesus took our place in that death. He died for us. That's what the cross was all about. Jesus was God in the flesh, made perfect in him and therefore he became the perfect sacrifice to pay for our own sin debts Jesus defeated sin on the cross and death was defeated when he rose from the grave 
You say, well, now, where is the Spirit involved in all that? I thought this was a sermon about the Spirit, and here we are talking about Jesus and the cross and stuff like that. All this took place by the Holy Spirit. Lance made a comment a few weeks ago that may have shocked some of us. And it was to the tune of, I'm going to paraphrase, it's not a direct quote. Our salvation is not tied up on the, on, on, on the mere fact that Jesus died on the cross. Our salvation is made possible by the work the Spirit did through that death on the cross. Jesus Christ was led to his death on the cross by the Spirit. None of this would have taken place had the Spirit not been leading Jesus every step of that horrible path. So we see that the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus. Further down in our main passage in verse 11, we'll read it a little bit later. We'll read about the Holy Spirit. And it says, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... That Holy Spirit led Jesus to satisfy the requirement of the law through his death. The Holy Spirit was the catalyst for his resurrection also. If we walk according to the Spirit, then we too will satisfy the law and be raised into newness of life because of what Jesus did. So in these verses we see that Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law. Because the law required death. It required a penalty. That's why in the Old Testament you see all of the animal sacrifices, the, the blood sacrifices, and the giving of the first fruits and the first of the crops, the best of the best. Because there was a penalty to be paid until Jesus came and took care of all of it. So he paid our penalty. The third aspect of the Spirit we see in these verses is that the Spirit provides believers life and peace. Who in this day and time doesn't need a good dose of peace in your life? Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to change up how we're reading this. If your mind is like mine, I can only handle one idea at a time. And in this block of Scripture, he, Paul is jumping back and forth from those who live in the Spirit, those who don't. The, those who live in the Spirit are this way. Those who don't live in the Spirit are this way. Let's break this down and see what he says about those living according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay? Let's go to verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Okay. Now verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now we're talking about the Spirit providing believers life and peace. When I read these, these verses and broke it down that way, you guys know, if you've, if you've seen my social media, you guys know how much I love to be outside hunting and fishing. That ain't no big secret. And when, so when I was thinking about this, the, the, this uh, and, and some other verses that we'll get to in a little bit, about living in the flesh, it reminded me, and I have with me today, a fishing lure. 
It's, it's weedless, so it wouldn't poke me in the pocket. Well, this fishing lure, to look at it, you wouldn't think about biting that. You wouldn't think about eating that. But this fishing lure is designed to drive a redfish absolutely, and a speckled trout, absolutely crazy. If you can, if I get it close enough, you hear that? Can you hear it? It's got two little beads in the tail. When you, when, you crank the, when you cast it out, you crank this bait back, it swims, and this little tail will, will look like, it won't do it because it's in the water, but it'll, it'll swim back and forth. It looks like a fish swimming. And it's got this nice chartreuse bright color, so you can see in these, in these dirty water bays that we have here. And the fish can pick that up. That fish can, can sense that noise it's making in the water, and it drives them nuts. They'll either bite it because they're hungry, or they'll bite it because they're mad at it, and they want it to be quiet. Now, here's the thing, and it's got little red sparkles in there, you know, real pretty and stuff. Looks, looks, you know, it looks kind of fatty and probably pretty plump and good to eat if you're a fish. But here's the thing, when you, when a lot of times, some guys I know are tournament fishermen, and the way they'll do these tournament fishermen is they'll sight fish, and what they'll do, they'll be on a big tower on a boat, and they'll look, and when the water's clear enough, you can see these redfish that look like big basketballs under the water, and then they'll cast to the front of those fish with with these lures like this and entice them to strike now here's the thing when you when you got two or three it's it's you know it's okay you really got to work hard you got to technique down and do all this stuff right in order to get them to strike but when there's a bunch of them when you're in the whole school and they're just going nuts and chasing bait fish and everything and the water is churning because everybody in that school is eating you cast this little dude out there and somebody one of those fish is going to nail this thing. There's a hook in there. Um, somebody's going to nail this thing because why? They're not paying attention to what they're eating. They're just eating. Their mind isn't set on, well, that one looks a little skinny. No, that one looks a little old. That one's too fat. They're, they're not looking and making decisions like that. They're just consuming they're just wanting to bite anything that's in front of them. The point I'm trying to get at is this kind of like represents temptation and those things that trip us up when we're not focused on the things of the Spirit. When we ourselves are living for what we're wanting to gain and we're biting and grabbing at whatever's the shiniest and looks like the best idea because we're not putting any thought into it. And the thing is, if I push this down, there's the hook. And there's a hook in every temptation known to man. So that's what happens. And here's the thing. This hook brings death. If you're a redfish or a legal-sized trout and you bite this thing, guess what? Your life is going to end in my cast iron skillet or on my grill. Sin will bring death every time when we're focused and living in the flesh. Okay, let's flip side this. Let's go back to verse 5 and check out what he says about living in the spirit. The first half of verse 5. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Okay? So we're putting some thought into it. We're making a conscious decision to put things in our mind and think about things. The, first half of, the second half of verse 6 says, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And there's the result. And then at the end of verse 7, well, no, he doesn't say anything about it in verse 7. In verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So two things in here about living in the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When we set our minds on the Spirit, and, this little, and, and whatever this is, whatever this represents for you in your life, when it comes passing by our mind, if our mind is on the things of the Spirit, we're not going to hear it. We're not going to hear that. We're not going to be enticed. When that conversation at the office with a person of the opposite sex starts getting a little too deep emotionally, if our minds are on the Spirit, we're going to be able to control that, to, 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 to make the decision to cut that off and walk away. If our mind is on the if things of the Spirit and we walk by that computer or phone when nobody's around and pick it up and turn it on, we're going to be able to control that temptation that comes with these technological devices that were invented for good things but have torn a lot of families apart and destroyed a lot of people. When we got our mind on the Spirit, what's going to come is that sense of freedom that I talked about earlier that we saw in the, in the first few verses. The Spirit has overcome it. The Spirit has paid our way for freedom. And while, yeah, we might be, you might say, well, we're free to do those things because of grace. Here's the flip side of that. Friend, we're free not to do it. Because Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has already paid the debt and set us free. We're no longer a slave to those habits and those thoughts and those temptations. We're free not to do it. We're free to put our minds on the Spirit and start praising God for His forgiveness and for His grace and for paving the way for us to live in true freedom. So take that, put that in your pocket and take that with you and the next time you're tempted to do whatever it is that's been tripping you up for a long time and you can't seem to, to get over it, remember, you're free to not do that because of Jesus, because the Spirit dwells in you, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead already is inside you, guiding your thoughts when you allow it to. Let's not take our minds off the Spirit. Let's definitely take our minds off the flesh, though. The fourth thing we see in these verses is the same Spirit, I just said it, the same Spirit who raised Jesus will raise us too. In verse 9 of chapter 8, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and that's not a question, that's a, 
that, that's one of those philosophical ways of stalking. Is if, if this, then this. So if, if you are a believer, then this. The Spirit does dwell in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If this is not good news, I don't know what is. I mean, this is, this is the gospel in spirit form right here. All of the wonderful life-giving benefits given by the Spirit are ours, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in us, as the Scripture says. We also read now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You could turn this around and say, if anyone doesn't know the Lord Jesus, then he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So the question this morning becomes... Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? This is a rhetorical question. Think about it. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Have you encountered Jesus in such a way and made a decision to accept His grace and forgiveness? If you can say yes to that question, then the answer to the question, does the Spirit of God dwell in you, is an affirmative yes. If, however, you have not come to the decision to, to turn your life to Jesus Christ and, and let him be the Lord of your life, if you've not made that decision to give your life over to Christ and submit to his will and to the Spirit, then don't leave today without making that decision. I'll be available down here after, after the service. Lance is here. Elders are here. Probably people sitting beside you, if they're partners here, could tell you how you can give your life over to Christ. And as Lance said last week, this is the part of the sermon where I would normally say every head bowed and every eye closed, but I ain't doing it this week because of what you said last week. I'm a good, good, good old Southern Baptist boy. Did that a lot. Lance was right, though. There is no secret abracadabra hocus pocus incantation that we can say that causes Jesus Christ to come into our lives, the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, and we're all of a sudden saved. The only way, the only, the only thing we have to do is say, this is my Bible. I believe Jesus is who it says he is. Once you confess that, you're in. Some of you may know where I got that reference. Some of you may not, and that's okay. Jesus is Lord. Confess that. Believe that. Lean in on that. Make him the Lord of your life. And the Holy Spirit immediately upon your conversion to Christianity comes to indwell in you. And that same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the grave will come and dwell inside you and will redeem us, will raise our dead-in-the-flesh dead bodies and give us eternal life. There's, a, there's an account 
in, uh, in John where Jesus was uh, talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus questioned God, or questioned Jesus, on how could, uh, could, could what, what, the person, what would the person have to do to be saved? <clears throat> and Jesus replied to him, you've got to be born again. Now Nicodemus questioned him on, on how to go back into his mother's womb and be born all over again. He didn't understand the concept. Jesus said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, there's two kinds of births. One physical, and uh, that's, that's when we were born from our mother's womb. And the other is spiritual, uh, a spiritual birth through Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we received the Holy Spirit at that very moment of the new birth. Now, Nicodemus continued to question Jesus, and, uh, and so Jesus explained how one receives this new life and he said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life y'all know where that reference is sure you do John three sixteen. believe in Jesus confess him as Savior and Lord and you will receive this new life in the Holy Spirit once we confess Jesus is Savior and receive the Holy Spirit something amazing starts to happen he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, and he dwells in us. Now, verse 10 says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Right now, during this lifetime, we have to consider that our body is dead because of our sinful nature. Our former life of living in sin has to be... <clears throat> living in sin is to be no more. In the words of Paul, we must symbolically crucify our former life. Now, for us, that symbolic crucifying of the former life is expressed in the form of baptism. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us on baptism. That is simply an outward expression of our identifying as believers. And it's a, it's a symbolic way of saying we are dead to that old way of life. And when we're brought up out of those baptism waters, that is a symbolistic way of saying we are reborn into a new life with Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit we have eternal life, but we also have life amidst our own daily struggles. For the very same resurrection power that brought Jesus up from the grave will also transform those life-sucking circumstances that work to bring us down. We'll start to look at them different. We'll start to see the Holy Spirit working through them. And it will change our perspective and in that changing of perspective, we will find that peace that Jesus, that, that the Holy Spirit gives. Some of us need to put away our sinful passions and seek a life of righteousness, for the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let us die to the flesh daily to make room for the Spirit, to fill us and fulfill us and bring us bring these dry bones and, and thirsty souls new life. In closing on the last concept that we see in these scriptures, when we keep in step with the Spirit, we gain victory over the flesh. In Galatians, what we read a while ago, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let's skip down to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with him, with its, with its, I'm sorry, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we keep in step with the Spirit, we gain victory over the flesh. How do we gain that victory? Because when we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we're going to produce those fruits of the Spirit that were talked about in, those, in, 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 that, in that same chapter. And what are those fruits of the Spirit? Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Anybody need any of that in their life today? Any of that missing from some of our experiences? And the key to it is, it's, it's, not, it's not an instantaneous thing where we're going to get it perfect every time. This is something that we have to submit to every day. You know, Paul alluded to, uh, to the idea when he said, um, walk by the Spirit. Lance mentioned it a while ago. Walking by the Spirit is not running with the Spirit. It's not running to catch up. Walking with the Spirit is not walking in front of the Spirit, looking back, waiting on God to, to show up on time and thinking He's too late. Walking in the Spirit means walking beside, experiencing life together with the Spirit, hand in hand, in communion with one another, walking daily, every day, making the conscious choice to pick up those things and, and put our focus on them and let them be a part of our lives. Life is a journey. It's often called a daily walk. Let's, hold, let's lay hold of the many blessings that arise from being indwelled in the Spirit. We've gained eternal life, freedom from working for righteousness, and freedom from condemnation. What we will gain is, if we walk with the Spirit is that joy and peace. And we'll see a transformation within ourselves regarding those circumstances through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So as the band comes to, to lead us in a song of, of, of response, uh, I want to close with, uh, with one other thought. If you'll confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord and receive the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, you'll also gain a strong assurance that you forever belong to Jesus. The spirit that comes to dwell in us is God's seal that we belong to him. Kobe, y'all come on. Kobe spoke a few weeks ago about our adoption. Our, both of mine and Alicia's sons are adopted. There is nothing in my experience that can portray or that does portray the gospel in such a real life form as the process of adoption. My two boys were born to different parents in two distinct parts of the world. 
There was no logical explanation for why they would be a part of my family and I would be their father, except for the Spirit ordained it to be so. And when you go through the long and arduous task of adopting, and in my malicious case, appeasing the governments of three different countries because we lived in Argentina both times we adopted, when you hear, and I can't make the sound now, but when you hear that Apple Steel go on a certificate of adoption and it is the seal and that is the final leg of the entire process and all of a sudden, that little boy is yours. The Holy Spirit is just like that Apple Steel that goes on those documents. God says, you're mine? Here's the Holy Spirit in you. That's my mark. If you want to experience that today, I urge you, do not leave this place without talking with me or Lance of one of the other church leaders about what it means to dedicate your life to Christ, to become a Christian, and enjoy the freedom that the Spirit has provided for us. Amen.